Welcome to Occasionally Awesome. We're still saying our names, we decided. Yeah. I'm Nick Youssef. I'm Kevin Christie. <laughs> okay. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, you're right. Let's not. Yeah. Let's not. Um before we get any farther further ahead of ourselves, we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor this week. Yeah, we got a, uh, a quick ad. We're going to play you from Sattva Mattresses, yep. and you'll recognize the voices. They are Tom Segura and Christina Pajitsky yep. from Your Mom's House, the yep. podcast on all things comedy, which if you don't listen to, subscribe to that. They're both super funny, yeah, super it's a, cool. A really good one. Yeah. Uh, you've done it too, right? Nope. Oh, okay. So I've done it. All I did was defend Christina at a gas station, yes, but apparently that's not enough to get on the podcast. Oh, but you saved Christina's life. I saved she- her life once at the mul- the Chevron in Toluca Lake. So what you're what you're essentially saying is, if it weren't for you, there would be no Your Mom's House podcast. I'm not saying that. It's just hard to say. And what I'm saying is that's a gray area. I'll say it for you. Uh, you, if it weren't for you, there would be no Your Mom's House podcast, mm-hmm. and you still haven't been a guest. Yep. Wow. Um, well, maybe she can rectify that situation at some point. But uh, they they are reading this uh, this ad for you guys, so it's thirty seconds. Uh, give it a listen, and there's a deal for you in there yeah. somewhere on uh, the world's best mattress. So check this out now. Hey guys, it's Tom and Christina from your Mom's House podcast here to tell you about a wonderful company named Sattva that makes the best mattress we've ever slept on. Now, they're online only, which means there's no store, and you might go, why would you do that? You can't lay on that bed for a couple minutes and see if you like, no. You get it straight to the house, and now we're living like kangs. We're sleeping on a janky, old, inherited comedian mattress for 10 years, and every morning my back hurt. Now this king-size Sattva mattress is the bomb. Well, now Sattva has a new brand called Loom & Leaf, Mm. And they are launching it at South by Southwest. That's right. Loom and Leaf. That's L-O-O-M and Leaf. Right now at South by Southwest. And basically that's their memory foam mattress is what Loom and Leaf is. Anyway, Sophos partnered up with A&E and their hit show Bates Motel. A&E's Bates Motel is actually open for business. So you can stop by and enter your name for a chance to stay the night at the Bates Motel during South by Southwest and for a chance to win a Lumen Leaf mattress. Come on. That's awesome. This is premium, perfect memory foam mattress, the highest quality plant-based foam sourced in the United States, eco-friendly, highest quality everything, and best of all, you're going to get this Tempur-Pedic style mattress for half the price. Get your life. And just like Sattva, Lumen Leaf offers delivery with courtesy installation and takeaway. You can try this product, this Lumen Leaf mattress, for 75 days. Okay. Hassle free. Follow Lumen Leaf at Lumen Leaf on Twitter and Facebook and make sure you stop by the Bates Motel to win a memory foam mattress at South by Southwest. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't have a lot of ads, but. Nope. There was one, yeah. so we hope you were able to sit through that and enjoy it. And commerce, yeah, get a get a good deal on a mattress. Um, so here we are. Let's uh, plug some dates. You, what do you got? I'll be at the comedy store. Oh, and thank you to the people who came out um, to see me and Ari at uh, Brea in Brea at the Brea Improv. Yeah, some people came up to me who listened to the podcast. That's nice. Good. That's cool. And so thank you for that. Um, yeah, thank you guys for whenever you come out and say that you listen <laughs> to the, instead of just like nothing or tweet later yeah. or like a week, you know, a week goes by. Hey, I saw you here. Yeah. Um, always come up and say hi. Yeah. You know, some people get shy and they're just like, they kind of wave or do, I love the podcast. Yeah. And they like run away and stuff. 
Um, yeah, say hi. You know, that's why we're doing this. That's why we go on the road, and that's why we do comedy and stuff. Uh, thank you also to everyone that came out to La Jolla. Uh, Fahim Anwar and I, those were fun, fun fucking shows. That club's always great. Um, met a lot of cool people, a lot of return people, which was nice. Um, this weekend, Tempe, Arizona. Tempe, Phoenix, that area, Arizona. March 20th through 22nd, I'm playing the Tempe Improv with Bobby Lee. Come out to those shows. They'll be fun, that that improv. Tempe closed for a while, and then they reopened probably like a year ago, year and a half ago. That club's fucking awesome. It's like brand new, modern looking. It doesn't look like a lot of the other improvs and stuff. Um, it's a really cool club. Is so. that the one that guy Joel runs? I don't remember. I think s- he runs stand up live also. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that That's is Joel. The- He's a great dude. Yeah, yeah. I so love yeah, that guy a lot. That's the same uh, same owners yeah. now. Um, so yeah, if you're in town, come to that. Or if you're not, tell your friends to go to that. <laughs> It'll be a good show. You'll see next to no material from my album if you have that. Um, if you don't have that, get that. Uh, get it on vinyl, get it on Spotify, get it on iTunes. There's links on my website, nickyusef.com. Uh, support the system. This this podcast, comedy albums. Oh, uh, X, Y, and Z. Some people occasionally ask me if I ha- sell prints of my art. I usually don't, or I don't. I've never. Uh, but I did a poster for Mark Marin's tour. You pro- if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to his. I'm guessing. Yeah. And uh, they'll probably be available on his uh, site. WTFpod.com. It's the Marination Tour poster. Uh, it's a painting I did of him. I think he's going to be selling them there. So check that site if you want to buy it. It's on his Twitter. I saw him tweet it. Yeah. Tweet a photo of it. Um, so it's on that too if you want to look at it. Looks yeah. cool. Um, you know what else would look cool? Is All right. a I, fucking I'm, podcast t shirt. Well, now that I am done with the <laughs> Marination Tour poster. Yeah, now that you're done doing other podcast artwork, <laughs> which I get, I get it. Um, but yeah, people keep asking. <laughs> I'm serious. I believe you. I met these kids in fucking the night, bu- the night of Mar- uh, not Marin show, Neil's show. Yeah, these fucking like young, young twenty-something kids. Like, dude, love the podcast. Blah blah blah. They mentioned a shirt. I was like, we're working on it. <laughs> we're working on. No, it. No, we are working <laughs> on it because I am yeah. asking you to do it all right that's that's where my work comes in okay to be like get it done okay right, fine. uh so it's coming you guys <laughs> um okay so if you listen to part one of this episode which was last week we just talked about all the weird yeah we ran out weird. of time yeah. uh we ended with your weird job yeah where i was painting weird sculptures and figurines and chairs and lawn stuff and yeah. backyard stuff for this you know eccentric screenwriter which guy. I've thought about every day since that's funny. finding him he uh, wanted everything painted white yeah, yeah. I like that yeah. um, the next job I had after being a gardener was it was the summer after I graduated high school okay okay I had gotten dumped by my high school girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, Melinda, crushed me. Really? Just really. How re- so? I just was like, I, it was the first, it was my first love. Oh, the first time yeah. I was in love. That's and I I was like 
ready to call it a day. I was like, this is the one. I want to <laughs> marry 18. this girl. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I w- it It wrecked me. Wait, did you lose your virginity to no. her? No. Oh, okay. No, way later. That would have we been way worse. We were both extremely into Jesus. So there was right, going right. to be, well, her more than me. But uh, so that, that wasn't going to happen. But so I got super wrecked. And at the time, my friend Jeremy, who was a year older than me, had moved to Sacramento to work. He was in, he was like, ju- he was be- a part of like the, this newish industry called computer graphics. Yeah. <laughs> like computer animation, like the really early stages of it. And he was learning how to do it. Yeah. And uh, so he was in Sacramento. He had a job at this company, I think it was called Play. Yeah. Company was called, it was in Sacramento. And were people around him going like, dude, what a waste of time. This computer <laughs> yeah. thing's not taking off. No, but it, would, it was like, this stuff's awesome. But if you watched it now, like the stuff was so dope. It was like, look at these marble columns and you can move through them. Like it was so dopey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Disney was doing computer animation, but like the kind of stuff that was being used was like pretty primitive. Yeah. So I knew, and it was summer, I knew I was basically going to hang out in La Crescenta and be afraid of running into her all the time. Right. And I, you know, I'd be like, I don't want to go to Higley's because she may be there. (laughs) And it's a small town. It's a small town with like three places to go and I'd hear about it and hear about who she was dating now or whatever. Right. So my friend Jeremy was like, dude, you should come to Sacramento and like do art for the company. Like you could like, like make art and then like, like draw stuff that we could animate and it'll be so cool. You could like have a job up here, like being an artist for this cool computer graphics company. And I was like, dude, that sounds pretty cool. And it'll get me out of La Crescenta for the summer. Yeah. So I don't just mope around and live in fear of running into the, the girl who crushed me. Yeah. So I decide to do this. So I drive to Sacramento. Wait, you had the job secured before you went or how, how did that work? I'll let you know what happens. So okay. I drive. He's like, dude, I hooked it up done i'm like sweet i'm going to sacramento to be a professional artist i drive up there oh man i get there he's (laughs) like yeah i talked to my boss so like we don't really need someone who draws what but you can totally work on the assembly line no yeah this company also made this thing it was a it was a it was called the snappy (laughs) snappy (laughs) you got to remember this is 1996 yeah. So the Snappy was this thing that you connected to your VCR and your computer, mm-hmm. and it allowed you to capture still frames from things on your like v- TV. It was the original screenshot. It was a screenshot. Yeah. It was a separate piece of technology about the size of a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, everything was that big. <laughs> It was the size of like a zip drive or like, (laughs) I don't know, like a big bike lock. (laughs) It was the size of like, it was half the size of our soundboard. Okay. So like maybe three inches across, five inches long, you know, it was like a VHS cassette tape size. Okay. And it was called the Snappy and you connected it to your computer and your VCR. (laughs) So I get up there and he's like, yeah, you can get a job on the assembly line. Now I'm already there. Yeah. And Jeremy's my friend and I like him. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll just go work on this assembly line making these snappies. Okay. It was a fucking horrible job. Like I I worked, I had to be there at 8 a.m. every day 
The the drive took me like forty five minutes, so I was getting up at like six. Jesus. I worked from eight to four. And it was it wasn't an assembly line like you picture like Henry Ford where you're like doing things with your whole body. It was all like all just tiny things with your hands. Like you didn't do the same thing every time. Yeah. Every day. Like one you'd kind of switch things. Like there was a thing where you took these tiny little springs out of a giant box of tiny springs yeah. and, and separated them and then put them into tiny holes on a tray. And then there was okay. another thing where you took like this the technology, like the little motherboard inside the snappy was wrapped in like this thick foil paper. So another thing was you got the foil paper and folded it up around the motherboard thing and then pushed it to the next person. Another thing was like the plastic thing that ha- the the casing and then you assembled that and then like screwed in the screws. Did you have to be trained how to do that? Yeah, I mean, I probably got trained for like 2 days, my first couple days. Like they started me on the springs cuz that was like super easy yeah. and then I moved to like foil. Like I think I learned it in like a day. It was really easy. Did yeah. at any point they speed up the the belt thing? No, it wasn't was a belt. Like an I Love Lucy situation no, where no, you're no. putting yeah. springs in your mouth and in your shirt. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, no, there wasn't a belt. There wasn't a belt. It was just a, it was like a big table. It was only like 10 of us, I think, Oh, so around okay. a big table. And, but one day I remember I, I spent all day folding the foil paper and I realized I did it wrong for like four hours holy shit so we had to stay like two hours after and like undo like i don't know a few hundred of them we probably assembled a couple like a thousand of them a day and (laughs) the the i got like an hour lunch break to which you'd walk outside there'd be like a lunch truck and i get like a breakfast burrito and like um, it was weird because my hours were like eight to four, and Jeremy's hours were like eleven to six, right. and they were in like the cool like. And at lunch, all the cool designers would play like, what was that first point and shoot run around video game in the nineties? Uh, Wolfenstein three D, Doom, Doom, Doom. They all the kind of nerdy graphics guys were playing Doom at lunch. Yeah. And then what I quickly realized was the people that worked on the assembly line were kind of looked at like these ex convicts who weren't really hung out with like none of the guys who worked as graphic guys were friends with any of the people that worked in the assembly room except me and jeremy so i went to like visit him a few times like in the first couple weeks and then i just started to feel weird and like you know my lunch break wasn't when his lunch break was and i was exhausted and like the people i worked with the i only remember two three of them one was named summer and she was sometimes the receptionist and sometimes on the line. Yeah. And she would hook up with kind of everybody. Did you hook up with her? No, but Jeremy did. Okay. And then there was another dude. I don't remember his name, but he was sort of chunky. He had a legit Sacramento mullet. Wow. And he got in trouble because he kept wearing tank tops to work. And they told him he couldn't. And he was one day he got like he was like mad and he was He's like, like dude, This is America. He literally was like, Dude, I don't get it. Tank tops are hella rad. Right. And, he was and flipped his mullet and was yeah. like, Fuck this. And then there was another kid who I think was on house arrest because he had one of those ankle things. Yeah. And he I think he'd gotten busted for like theft. Right. Oh, and then there was another dude who all he did was talk about video games. And I remember him saying like that he was like yeah, I like this job. Like, I'd be happy working here the rest of my life because, like, I make enough to, like, have video games and, like, I could just play video games. Whoa. And I was really dumbfounded by that. That's crazy. And, you know, I worked there. The only inter- One of the interesting things that happens while I was there is MTV had a contest 
to like see if Metallica would come to your town. I remember that. Yeah, and yeah. I think the winners were right there at the Tower Records at, in in Sacramento because right. Metallica is a kind of big in Sacramento. It's like Morrissey and Burbank, like the people in Sacramento because Metallica's from you know that Bay area, area, kind of San Francisco. So yeah, the people in Sacto were juiced on on fucking of Metallica course. showing up. Uh, oh, where I lived was right by the Sac Sacramento Punchline. Oh, okay, okay. So the the only cool thing, or not cool, the enjoyable, the only enjoyable thing I did was go to that Mongolian barbecue place. Oh yeah, right by the Sacktown Punch with Jeremy. We went there like every other day. It was really good. Like that shit was good. Have you gone back there now that you play the Punchline? Yeah, I went there, there once with Bobby and went to the Mongolian barbecue. How did that feel to be there now? I I was shocked because when I he was like, let's go to this Mongolian barbecue place, and I was like, oh shit, I've been here before. Wow, I lived like. Uh, like a half mile from here. Like I had no idea. I didn't make the connection at all. What a weird like what a weird thing about life that is. Yeah. You can like be somewhere in one part of your life and be like, Well, I'll never come here again. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I will one day. And then you do come back like playing a comedy club as a comedian. Yeah. Like you if if someone told eighteen year old you that that would happen yeah. while you're sitting there on an assembly line, you'd be like, No fucking way. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Oh, and I, oh, there was a guy. Actually, I remember a guy's name. There was a guy named Lonnie who worked there too. Yeah, on the assembly line, and he was really into Jesus. And he went. Uh, he took me to like his like church, and he was a super cool guy. He was like really into punk. Yeah, and he had kind of been. I think he was like had like troubles in his life, and then kind of cleaned himself up and got really into Christ. And but he right. was a good dude, and we kind of remained friends for a long time. Like he would email me and stuff like that. And then the oh my the one nice thing that happened was my car overheated and like one of the pumps broke and I was telling a guy at work about it not on the line and he was like oh dude don't take that to a mechanic I can fix it and he just went with me during lunch and like bought the tube and fixed it himself for me so as a gift I drew him a picture of a thirty seven Chevy. (laughs) <laughs> like he probably a, still has it. Yeah, it was. I dude, I worked my ass off on that thing. Yeah, and uh, and he was like, dude, and I, I get, I get, I put it in an envelope and like left it on his desk. And then as I was leaving, he like ran. I was like, dude, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, like, and uh, but yeah, the guy there were. It sucked. I mean, it sucked. And it, I will say this about that job, it made me want to go to college so bad. Yeah, and like, what did you not? No, I planned on going to, like, I didn't really know what my life was. I mean, I didn't really have that big of a plan. I knew I wanted to go to art school, but, like, I had just graduated high school. I'd gotten shitty grades. I was like, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I had planned on going back to go to, like, Pasadena City College or whatever. But, like, after a few months, because, like, Jeremy was like, dude, why don't you just move here? (laughs) And they were like, you could stay and, like, you you know, you could have this job and you seem like a good dude. And I was like, I am leaving. Yeah. I'm getting out of here immediately. I'm going back home. I'm going to go to college, yeah. and I'm going to be a fucking artist. Yeah. This is not what... I'm just not going to do this. Mm. I'm never having a job. And it wasn't like... A, no one was mean to me. Everyone was relatively cool, and it, it yeah, was I just mean, like... It's a fine job for some people, but then it's like you wanted to be an artist. So I was just like, this is, not, this is not my life. This yeah. is not going to be my life. And I remember I drove home. I got home at like nine at night and my friend Edom was like hey we're hanging out at our house and I got home and like all my friends were there and they were like Kevin's home yeah. and I was like oh so how long were you God. there in total I was there three months oh fuck yeah I oh, did okay. like the whole summer the whole summer yeah in Sacramento wow it was it 
I mean, summer in Sacramento. I will say, I, I am in retrospect. It, I'm glad it happened because it made me like. I may have just like gone to junior college and been kind of fu- like fucking lazy, but right. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to be a smart person. I'm going to be. I'm going to try to be as smart as I can. I'm going to work my ass off because I don't. I don't like that job. I didn't like that. Yeah. I go. This, that's not my thing. It's not for me. Right. So, yeah. But man. Assembly line and sacrament. I mean, it's not wasn't really an assembly line. It was an assembly table. But dude, yeah. those jobs are rough. Like you just, it's it's mind numbing, but you have to pay attention because you can't you can't fuck up. And then I don't think that that the snappy even was a product after a while. I've never even heard of it. Well, because I think it cost a hundred bucks. But like, who needed still frames from movies? The only people I could imagine needing that are are like families when they're shooting home videos of like baby's first steps oh yeah your yeah first birthday you there want you pictures of those videos yeah because families would be taking fucking millions of videos yeah and then Jeremy Disneyland trip the oh. one I uh, worked with he invented some sort of weird thing him and another guy invented this weird or this thing that like when you build buildings like high rise buildings they have to get all the wires in the building so they put these huge like these big round tubes full of electric wires yeah. and they shove them in buildings and they have to kind of curve. Well, when they curve sometimes, the, the wires kind of slink back. Right. So they have to pull the whole fucking tube out and push them back through. Well, Jeremy and this guy invented a thing that went in and grabbed the electrical wires and pulled them out. So you saved hundreds of man hours for having to take them out and they animated it and sold it to some company for like $12 million. Wow. So now Jeremy lives in Montana, <laughs> he like moved him and his Giant wife like house. checked out yeah and he bought a house for like his parents and wow. him and his parents both live in like montana and they have like a like a vegan cookie business and like That's... he hunt it's weird he, they have his parents are selling a v ve- do a vegan thing and then he or no it's a, a, a gluten-free thing and then he hunts and stuff they just like they like checked out they're like and we're gone <laughs> Dude, I'm going to Montana this summer. I keep saying that. Really? Yeah. I have some weird obsession with going there. People people say it is like it in in the right time, it is the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, I, I want to go so bad. Yeah. Just be like in nature, eat a giant Montana steak. I get it. Kill a buffalo. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, say yeah. what's up to a buffalo. That's like the, I guess that's the most blue collar job I've ever had. Because while I was a gardener, I wasn't really a gardener. I didn't work yeah. five days a week. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a real gardener job. Yeah, I mean, the busboy thing was, Yeah, I guess it was blue-collarish, but like this was like a, a job job at a building. Right. Ugh. I clocked in. I had a time card. Wow. Clocked in, clocked out. There was a dress code, kind of. No tank tops. Tank tops are hella rad. Time cards are weird. Yeah. To have to use. You forget to clock out and they get pissed at you. Yeah. Clock we'll never early. know when you really clocked out. They clock in. You clock in early. They get on your ass about it. Yeah. Fuck. I know. But that Mongolian barbecue, super. That's all I remember about Sacramento. I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't go anywhere. Because I, did, I didn't know where anything was. Yeah. I met this one guy on the line who he wanted to show me. He used to do drawings of, like, medieval warriors. He was nice. They're all like like nice people. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they be? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just people with jobs. Yeah, yeah. Where did I work after that? After that weird fucking painting place, or that weird screenwriter? Whatever. I don't even know what to call that job that I had. But I think after that, I worked at the. Hold on, did I work at the comedy store then? After that, aren't you a waiter? I yeah, had a couple jobs doing that, but I think that came after I quit the store. 
Oh, wasn't there someone who worked at the store who had like a rest or they managed a restaurant? Yeah, yeah. There was like a conduit to some restaurant from the comedy store. Yeah. Well, before that, I had a a job um, at this place called the Venice Bistro, which is still there. Yikes. It's on the Venice Boardwalk on the north end by Rose Street. It's still okay. there. If you go to the boardwalk, you'll see it. Yeah. And I fucking, I had to work at that dump. <laughs> for dump for a while for like actually not too long it was like maybe three three to six months somewhere between there because i I quit to get a better one but like that was a job that i got because my buddy uh my friend robert my best friend he worked there right as a bartender and he's like hey they're they'll hire waiters if you want a job here and i was like and with no experience because i'd never had experience serving and serving is one of those jobs where like we can't hire you unless you've had ex- like retail. Where yeah. It's like we need someone with experience. You're like, well, how am I going to get it? That kind of thing. You go to places like that. Yeah. That'll just hire people that don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> so I got a job at this fucking nightmare, and it was owned by this like this white guy and this like Mexican lady, and then their kid worked the the bar there. He was like the the head bartender, and it always felt like it was a front for something <laughs> because they never had shit. They had like most of the alcohol because there's mostly just people drinking during the day and tourists and shit. But the, the things you had to fill out um, food orders with were like those old school like ticket number yeah. things. And uh, there was no computer. Mm. Everything was by hand with right. a fucking calculator. You had to type up the numbers and the tax and the totals no uh, point POS system at all in the place. And then if people wanted silverware, you were lucky if there was enough. Napkins were like there were some. <laughs> and then ketchup and mustard, it was like you maybe – some days there was mustard and no ketchup. <laughs> some days there was ketchup and no mustard. And they called it a bistro? Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> I mean, during the day, it was two stories. It still is two stories. Upstairs was never, ever used. On Every once in a while, it would get busy enough to where like, oh, we're sitting upstairs, but you would forget upstairs was even there. I had a table once up there after, you know, four or five days of no one ever being up there or even really downstairs. I completely forgot they were there for over an hour. <laughs> and they like got so, hey, man, can we get some service? I'm like, holy shit. And there was like seven of them. Yeah. Just this huge group. Because you're on the Venice boardwalk. There's all these tourists, right? And that... I learned the hard way was that was the truth about how tourists tip, which is not good. Really? I think that's m- probably changed now with like the way travel works with like, you're not just going through a travel agency or just like, or not even that with some people, you're just getting on a plane and going somewhere and you yeah. don't really know the customs and things like that. I imagine now, and if you're a server out there, let me know if I'm right or wrong. But, um, I think now when people travel there, there's, books already and then you're googling shit how do i go here where do i get no there's literally you can look up tipping customs. like if you google like when i was in like scandinavia they're like tipping customs of scandinavia like you don't do it it's insulting even if you're not looking up tipping customs if you're looking up like great places to eat and you're reading a blog about it they'll probably mention in the blog and hey just so you guys remember here are the tipping customs in norway sweden america mexico wherever the fuck you're going all that info's out there so i imagine that's changed but Back then, 2000, like, let's say five, that was. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was after I was, I was working at the store. It was definitely after that. Um, I can go back to that for a minute. But um, people wouldn't leave shit. 
I would get, they, they would sit there and it would be, it was in the summer. So the days are fucking hot and people are out there ordering pitcher after pitcher of beer. Groups of fucking Swedes and Australians and, and Irish people who drink like fucking crazy. You know what I mean? They're staying at hostels. They have nothing to do all day. Pitcher after pitcher. Let's get fucking wasted. $80, $100 tabs. And the drinks were cheap because there was always deals in the afternoon. Uh, and I would, you know, $85 tab. It would be $0.33 cents for a tip. Oh, my God. Yeah, that kind of shit. And I was complaining. So there's literally no point in you working there. I mean, you'd get like your hourly minimum wage or whatever it was. But like, yeah, I mean, I worked, you know, five days a week, sometimes six. And I would pick up shifts, work. I was just I was like, give me all the work possible. Right. So um, here and there, people would tip. Americans would tip properly. And then some tourists would tip. But I remember complaining about this one table I had. I'm like, these motherfuckers. Gave me no money at the end. And then all they did was play shitty music in the jukebox after I'd put in like a dollar of. I was like, oh, no one's here. I can like yeah. put in a few songs. Then this group comes in and just fills it with like shitty pop music. And I'm like, I got to listen to this pop music. I'm like, but you know, these guys are drinking all day. And then they tip me like 75 cents or a dollar 50 or whatever uh. it was. So I was complaining to this group of Americans and they were like, dude, man, I know tourists are the fucking worst. They don't know how to tip. And then when they left, they tipped me well and gave me like $5 and quarters for the jukebox <laughs> on top of the tip. So there was shit like that. So yeah. you had like cool people that like were on vacation and they were in a great mood. So they were like just they, – they'd treat you extra well because they're like, dude, we're just happy to be in L.A. We're on the beach. We're having a good time. At night, that place turned into like the Walking Dead. <laughs> Like during the day, it's like sunshine and people skateboarding and biking and like happy tourists and families having a great time. There was like an even nicer place next door that uh, got like, you know, nicer, like better clientele and stuff. (laughs) And but dude, when the sun went down in Venice, it was like all those shops on the boardwalk close and you just get Venice locals and homeless people. Yeah. And it gets fucking weird. Yeah. Like the cops are telling RVs not to park in the lot because one day an RV fucking exploded. RVs catch on fire all because, the fucking time. Because it was being used as a crystal meth lab. Fuck yeah, Venice. It was crazy. And then you would have fights um, a few times a week. Yeah. There would just be like some crazy drunk guy who is mad that his ninth beer cost four dollars when the first eight beers also cost four dollars he was just like drunk and crazy he would try and fight someone in the bar or the bartender and these bartenders after a while were just like johnny take it outside man i don't like i I don't i know i know you're gonna kill me i know you have a knife i know you were in vietnam i know this you know just just take it outside cool off come back tomorrow like they wouldn't really kick people out a lot of the times because they were just like that's johnny He's the crazy dude that comes in with a good attitude, and then once he's had a bunch of whiskeys, he's yelling at a fucking wall or whatever (laughs) the fuck. Um, There was one night where a bunch of homeless guys decided to start a trash can fire because there were the trash cans on the boardwalk of these steel drums, yeah, and they were cold, so they were to start this trash can fire. It took about an hour before anyone (laughs) even thought we should call the cops. Like. This fire's not going out. It's getting pretty big. They just keep adding <laughs> things to it, you know? And they're, like, trying to stay warm. Then they finally called the cops or the fire department. Someone came and put it out. Um, the only good night of the week there, and I never worked nights because I, I was doing stand-up and stuff, obviously. 
And uh, the only good night was Sunday night. They had a Doors cover band. And that fucking, <laughs> they were called like the Frog something. I can't remember their fucking name. They're actually decent. They're pretty good. Yeah. And they were, they had a residency there because they filled that place every goddamn Sunday night. Yeah. All the Venice locals are like, what's there to do on Sunday? This bar's got a sick fucking band. Girls come here. There's <laughs> dancing. So it was the one night where like, I went in once to see it. My friend who bartended there was like, dude, it's a really good night. He's like, I make killer money and there's girls and all this shit. Let's come down. So I walk into the place and I'm like, this is like a, a totally different establishment. Yeah. Like there's people who are dressed nice. They're, everyone has a smile on their face. There's no insane homeless people in here. Yeah. Everyone's enjoying themselves. It's like a really cool band on. And I was like, I wish I could work nights because this is enjoyable and you're making money. But I was stuck working fucking days because like at night I would be doing shows and shit. Um, they fired me probably four times. Right. And a couple of times it was like within the shift I would have got I got my job back. Right. Because the lady, the, the, the woman was like a, so temperamental. She had the shortest fucking fuse of anyone I think I've ever met. Where you're like, uh, I can't remember her name. It was like Rosa or whatever. Let's say it was Rosa. I'm like, Rosa, um, is there any ketchup? And she's like, were you giving people free beer? I'm like, what? I'm like, no, I just, th- this table needs ketchup. And she's like, she's like, there was a beer ordered and there wasn't a ticket for it. I'm like, I mean, it wasn't me. Maybe it was someone on, on the other shift or maybe it was another waiter or maybe your son, the bartender, didn't put it in. She's like, no, he would never do that. You're fired. Just like that in a minute. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, look, I didn't give anyone free beer. I've only had three customers I don't want to hear it. She walks upstairs. She comes downstairs like an hour later and she's like, uh, one of my servers quit. Can you work tomorrow? Why were you still there after she fired you? Because she, she was like, finish out your shift. Oh, uh, okay. And, and I think the bartender was probably like, just don't worry, man. She, my mom loses her temper all the time. And I was like, all right. And then, uh, and then she's like, uh, can you work tomorrow? One of my servers quit. Servers would quit and get fired in the three months I was there, four months I was there, there were probably like seven or eight just daytime servers yeah. that worked with me. You wouldn't even get to remember people's names because she would flip out and fire them or they would just be like, man, fuck this. The guy that worked there before me had gotten fired and rehired like 10 times or something like that. He only fired, when I was a busboy, I remember they fired this woman and all the people that worked there had worked there a really long time. So. The guy, fi- the guy who ran it finally got pissed at her for some fucking reason yeah. and fired her like mid-shift. And then she proceeded to finish her shift talking about how she was fired to all the customers she was waiting on. That's great. It was really annoying. I didn't like her. That's great. I found her very annoying. But that's what she did the rest of her shift. She was like, well, I'm fired, so what are you guys having? Like that. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't care anymore about this dumb job. Yeah. Uh, People don't realize Venice... Is still sort of a shithole. Parts of it. Parts of it, yeah. I mean, you first of all, you don't hear a lot, but there's still a very real surf Nazi contingent down there. Right. Of legit white supremacist dudes uh-huh. who are have been there all like actually all those Dogtown and Z Boy guys, like it there's a there's a side of that that's pretty dark. Right. Like they weren't just like mellow surf dudes that got high and skateboard. Like there's a big like locals only thing down there. And yeah, it's like a, a lot of beaches have that. Yeah, and and it, there's a real, like, sketchy-ass... The, the drug culture down there is for real. Yeah, like, my friend lived on a street down there where there were, like, 
carjackings or yeah. other car break-ins all the time because he's like homeless fucking meth heads like yeah. need money for venice isn't a dude i ne- i used to always want to go skate venice yeah when i was young because there were like ramps and it was like that if you were wanting to get be a good skater like the best skaters skated venice but like it was i never went because it was like scary yeah. it's like dude you go down there you'll get your board jacked like because just the locals were like get the fuck out of here and also, there was, like, really gritty dudes down there. Yeah, parts of, like, Lincoln Boulevard. You're like, this yeah. is, like, not... At night, you're like, this is, like, a little... I mean, a lot weird. of the famous skaters that came out of Venice also became raging drug addicts. Right. And, like, went to jail and had to go, you know, that thing. Yeah, yeah there was never always a fucking giant Whole Foods there with, like, all no, this... No, man. Yeah, it was, like... It was, I mean, I remember sometimes at night, I'd be doing, like, open mic. There's a place called the... Bitter, the bitter redhead. The bitter redhead. Yeah, remember that I place? I did the bitter redhead once. Yeah, I used to do that shit all the time. It was the worst. That place Such so. a divey <laughs> shit. We performed on a fucking milk crate. Yeah. That was the stage. Yeah. You would move all the time when you're on it. Yeah. I remember I did that show once with Stanhope. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he would just perform anywhere. And he was like the fucking headliner that night. I was like, holy shit. I don't know why. I, did, I don't know why I ever did that show. I think someone I knew was booking it for a minute. Like Patrick Keene Patrick or someone Keen like, yeah. One, yeah one and he was like, hey, come down and do the Bitter Redhead. I was yeah. like, okay. I did it all the time. That show was crazy. Kyle Kinane did it a lot. Yeah. Uh, Matt Bronger did it here and there. Um, it was pretty good. Lineup-wise, the shows were... Oh, lineup-wise, it was good, but just there was never a crowd. Yeah, there were never fucking people. It was just so bad. But anyway, that that area right there back then and like when it, whenever that was, oh, three, four, something like that, five. Yeah. Um, was weird like there'd be hookers like walking yeah. around and you're like this is venice like there was th- that other side of venice where it wasn't all just the boardwalk and the canals well where it's big nice. it's a big area yeah so you had tons of blocks that like weren't on the beach yeah and, and were just these empty you know apartment buildings it's it's like well it's like pacific beach where you're like it's beautiful and also fucking gross yeah yeah i mean all beach uh, beach areas are like that in general except for like malibu yeah, Malibu is the one exception. Yeah, Venice is gross. I know, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I was I was barely there at that place because I got there was a manager that worked at the comedy store briefly, and not briefly. I mean, he was there for like a couple of years, but I was like, dude, I need a fucking job. Yeah, and he's like, well, do you have any uh, experience serving? And I obviously lost. I was like, yeah, I worked at like a couple places, and even there was that one, and it was like, yeah, because he worked at like. It was like it wasn't fine dining, but it was high dining. It was like American Italian. Like yeah. it was a nice place, white tablecloths, a giant wine list. Like you had to know shit. There was yeah. like a way you had to serve plates open handed, uh-huh. which means you have to come in like if you come in on someone's left side, you have to bring a plate in with your left hand, so your forearm is oh. in front of them. Because if you come in on the left side with your right arm, it's like your your shoulder is right in front of their head. And it's just not as comfortable. So if you come in from behind, oh. yeah. So there's like a way. Well, I didn't realize that was a thing. Now I think of I've had I've seen that now a million times. I didn't know that was like a special thing. Yeah, that like a proper server serves a plate like that. Oh, because okay. you don't want to come in like giving someone your shoulder, right? And yeah, the ba- and then and then it makes it awkward to place it. You yeah. know. So if you come in kind of from not totally behind them, but a little kind of off off their left shoulder with your left arm, you can like place the plate. Yeah. Right there. So we had to like. Every morning, well, to back up, I totally lied about my experience. And he was like, I've talked to him a few times and he was cool. He got that I was like a nice guy and a cool, I wouldn't like fuck up the job or whatever. But um, 
I don't think that he'd really seen me on stage yet or whatever. He didn't know, like, because when I was younger, I was way more volatile and like flip out <laughs> on crowds and that kind of shit. Um, so he's like, yeah, come in for an interview just as a formality with me, and then I'll have you interview with the GM. Who's, it'll be a little tougher on you, but you know it'll be it'll be fine. And I went in. We kind of bullshitted in his office. He's like, he's like, all right, cool. He kind of played it like he was going to really interview me. He was like, asking me all these questions, and he's like, okay. All right, I'm going to bring you to the general manager. And then, because for a minute, I'm like, is this going to be like a real interview now? And like, am I not going to get this job? And then he's like, sit tight. I'm going to have you interview the GM. Brings in the GM. And that was like a very formal, straightforward. That guy was like a, a restaurant general manager for a living for 10 plus years. Right. He's run corporate restaurants for a long time. He's like, no nonsense, you know? Once you get to know him, he's like a little cooler. Uh, big tool fan it turned out and he was yeah. like he was like really in a rock and roll it was weird that's yeah. what we bonded on later on um, so he interviews me and he's like I understand you have some experience but um, this, there's a lot that goes on here and you're going to need to know a lot more and the manager is the is vouched for you so we're going to train you a little bit like for, you know a little bit longer than normal training is one week you get paid for it yeah but it's a one whole week of like they give you a thick fucking notebook full of every item they serve because this, this place called palomino it's in westwood the food's very good and um it was like right down the street from the westwood bruco where yeah they, where they where that used to be there used to do the open mic so they give you a huge book and they're like you got to study this shit and i was like fuck i do and you're learning about like you know demi glazes and like uh um different marinades and you have to know every ingredient in the Cobb salad and the Louis uh, seafood Louis salad and the ingredients in the dressing. Yeah. Cause some people are like allergic to fucking eggs yeah, or this allergic. or that, or just don't eat certain things. Yeah. She had to learn all this fucking shit. And, uh, and I studied and every morning I had to come in and be trained by these two servers one of them was uh, named Marcello, and he was like from Italy, like a full-on. Like, he had the fucking accent. He was like a, a proper server and has been doing it forever. He was like really good, really professional. And then this other guy, Andrew, who was like around my age, is a couple years older, who was like it's, – it's a crazy person. He was obsessed. We're still friends to this day. He's <laughs> I love him. He was um, obsessed with the British office. And I hadn't seen it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was like, yeah, I'll get around to it one day. And he was like, bro, I can't believe you don't watch The British Office. It's the fucking best show. You got to watch it. It literally is. Yeah, and it is. It's amazing. And the I best always, show I've ever seen. Yeah, and I always tell him after. I'm like, I know it took me forever. So the next day, day two, he's like, did you start watching it? I'm like, what? No, it's been a day. I don't even have, there's no Netflix yet. It's like, I'd have to go buy it on DVD or whatever the fuck. I'm like, no, man, I haven't, like, I've literally been studying all this menu shit and I've been doing stand-up no i have no time for that so i learned in that week more about the british office than i did about that restaurant from yeah. andrew all he would do was quote it and act, act out scenes i would have loved this guy dude he's the best he is an insane person <laughs> he's so he's like temperamental and crazy and like yeah just angry and like not really that much anymore he like cleaned up his act and stuff but um so I worked there for like a little over a year and like really had to fucking think on my feet and like figure shit out right. quick because, again, my only experience was like one guy, 
two people, three people, tourists just getting beers, no food at a fucking shitty dive bar yeah. in North Venice. And now I'm in this place where you have to serve open-handed. You have to polish your wine glasses and your salt and pepper caddies. Glasses and (coughs) silverware (coughs) all have to be in certain places on the table. Yeah. You have to give bread at the beginning. You have to serve water. You have to – there's a million fucking steps. And you would get – there were secret shoppers that came in that took fucking reports on your ass that they turned in. Uh, the managers would shop you too. Oh. They would just pick a server one day and they would both sit down and order a full lunch. They would get a glass of wine or whatever alcoholic beverage. They would get uh, a soda. They would get an appetizer, a salad, a main course, dessert, coffee, and you had to, during your shift. Ay. So you had to sit there and serve them, I mean, flawlessly because they would take fucking notes in front of you there's like oh you got that wrong there was a checklist of shit i remember once i had to uh i had to give them their drinks and they ordered obviously fucking each of them ordered two three drinks for just full tray of shit and i went to grab a drink and it almost slipped out of my hand so i had to like on the fly re-grab it and my thumb was on the top of the glass to just so because it was either that or spill it Right, and I was like, "I'm not going to spill it." So I put it on the on the table, and I in front of the GM, and I could see the other manager. His eyes just brighten, <laughs> like, "Oh my god, why is your thumb on the top of that glass?" And I was just like, "If this is just the way, this has got to go on the table this time." But yeah. later on, he goes, "Dude, I saw where your finger was when you served that." <laughs> He's like, "You're not doing that every time, are you?" I'm like, "No, it was going to fall. I know better than to fucking have my thumb on the top of a glass. <laughs> the soda can get on it." He's like, okay, good. Um, one time I spilled a glass of red wine on the tray on the table and managed to save it before it spilled onto the table itself. It, I think a couple of drops got on a lady that was sitting there. But this restaurant, since it was a corporate place, they had a fucking uh, a dry cleaning policy. Yeah. If yeah. any of the servers spill anything... You give us the stuff, we will dry clean it and have it. Yeah, back real to you restaurants do yeah. that. You just leave it. Yeah, you just drop yeah. it off. They do it, and it wouldn't come out of our pay or anything. No. It was just one of those things. But they were like, "Listen, be more careful." Yeah. But most other servers, that was never a thing. So I was, I was extra fucking careful with these drinks, and like, you'd have to run over to the bar, which was on the other side of the restaurant, and the bar lounge thing was a whole nother world, you know, where people wanted to come in for quick lunches. So you had four tables. That was your maximum to like ensure like good service and I worked the lunch shift so they your goal was like you had to be getting these customers out ideally within 45 minutes wow no matter what they ordered even yeah. if they got appetizers all the way through dessert and coffee right. you wanted them to like you got to get these guys out in 45 minutes the plus side is most of the customers were Westwood uh, business professionals. Yeah, they wanted to be out in 45 minutes. So they come in and most of them like don't even have time to look because they're like, we're sitting here and having a power lunch or whatever the fuck yeah. they, they were. So they would just order quick. They would come in a lot. They knew what they wanted. They wouldn't look at you. You would, Everything fine? Yeah, it is. And then they go right back to talking. Yeah. So a lot of times they're paying with company cards yeah. and you're getting 20% or more tips automatically no matter how bad the service is. Right. right? But I still had to get good fast because you would have like eight or ten tops, these huge parties that would come in and everyone's ordering like crazy meals and it's, you have to 
deal with 10 people at one table all ordering at once plus three other tables that all sat down at the same time yeah all at the same time and you there was a busboy that barely did any there was no like some restaurants the busboys like they'll take the drink orders or deliver the drinks or help with the bread this fucking dude his name was edson he was this pissed off fucking little mexican guy We, we used to fuck with him relentlessly because he had the shortest temper, but he was like, he had a good sense of humor, so we'd, we'd always give him shit. I'm like, Edson, dude, just help me out with the fucking bread. He's like, no, beach, No, beach. was always what he said. Hey, beach, No, beach. That's how, that's how he talked. And he would always fight. He's like, you suck at serving. And I was like, <laughs> he'd always say that. And I'm like, dude, I just started. Give me a break. But once I got good at serving, I was like, I'm, I live to fuck with this dude. I live to fuck with him. I'm like, hey, man, if you don't take bread to table 23, I'm not tipping you out today. Fuck you, bitch. You can't do that. He'd be like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, I'm doing it. You take this bread over there, you're getting no fucking money. Obviously, I'd give him the money, but I'd, I would tell him I wouldn't. And then certain days, he'd be like resetting a table. That was his like main job, and he would do it lightning fast, right? But he'd be resetting a table, and I'd be like across, <laughs> across the restaurant trying to catch his eye, and I would just mouth the words, fuck you. you know? <laughs> or I'd always ask him if he was gay because he was like, homophobic. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're gay, right? Just admit it. I've never heard you talk about a girl. I've never seen you with a girl. But I'm at work. Why would there be a girl here? I've never even seen you flirt with a girl. I can't flirt with the customers. Dude, you're gay. So I go look across the restaurant and I would mouth, before before it was politically incorrect to use the word faggot, Yeah, I would mouth that word at him and, and like make blowjob. If it was like kind of near <laughs> empty, no one would see me, but he would he would flip me off like in the restaurant because he couldn't contain his anger yeah. he just flipped me off so I made it my business to fuck with that dude I <laughs> relentlessly I would mess with him I found out he loves soccer so I would go home and like ask soccer friends like hey who's like Mexico's biggest opponent or whatever and it was like a world cup year I think or a qualifying year and dude I would come in and just gloat about whatever team won he would flip out I was told at some point I had to stop messing with him because he wasn't he wouldn't be doing his job because he would just be angry at me it was great and then I got good at serving right and then they had me uh, training people oh wow yeah so I, I learned fast and then they had me training people and then I realized if I worked in the bar lounge area I wouldn't have to deal with all this fucking um table etiquette bullshit right where there's the glassware has to be here because the bar area had no tablecloths you just dropped a fucking roll up like a a, a fork and knife roll up right. and, and a drink and there was no limit on tables and people wanted to be in and out of there quick so i was like i want to get switched over to the bar and it was just two servers splitting a whole bar it was like 50 tables or whatever so I'm like, i want to work there because you can make way more money you can walk out of right. there over 100, 150 bucks cash in your pocket every day, five days a week. Jeez. Yeah. So, and it was just days. I only worked days and stand up every night. So I'm just fucking rolling in money. I'm like, I want to work in there. And then I had to work with this fucking dumb cunt. Jesus. This fucking bitch <laughs> who was so selfish. She would never, you had to bust your own tables in there. That was another catch. You'd tip out less and you'd yeah. keep even more money. This girl would never, ever help. It was all about her and only her tables. And that was the deal in the bar. You had to work together because there was less people helping you. You help each other out. And she was as selfish as could be. And she was really stupid. She was a fucking blithering idiot. She was some fucking yokel from Alaska. Name her. I I can't even remember her name. Um, I can't even remember her name. But she was a fucking moron. And she would come to work. And I would... And so... 
eventually like the the other side of me the non-professional side you'd see at the at the clubs and just like in in person we're hanging out i was like i was like i'm gonna start just being a dick to her (laughs) i got to the point where i was like working there a while and i was comfortable and i was like i'm just gonna start treating her like shit because she treats me like shit so i would i would tell her i'd be like you gotta do this no i'm like you fucking bitch do your fucking job. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know how you're acting? You're being selfish. You're being an asshole. I can't believe you're talking to me like this. I can't believe you're treating me like this. I don't get what you're I'm just doing my job. No, you're not. You're doing your your part of your job. That's it. You're being self. So I would treat her like that. And then she would like she told on me once or twice. Manager comes over, new manager this time. The the guy that got me the job had left. He's like, hey, you know, we need to have a discussion. Um you guys need to start working together and she's saying you're being like, you know, mean to her and, and all this stuff. I'm like, look, I'm just trying to do my job and she's she's being selfish and it's and it's impairing both of our abilities to do good work here. I understand. I'll have a talk with her. He has a talk with her. Nothing really changes and she keeps doing it. And one day I walked up to her and I'm like, hey, can you, can you bust this area? Because we, we had to clear the tables and we have bins underneath uh, with the drink station to put our plates in there just for the meantime and then we can take them into the back, right? Because we get so busy with so right. many tables. She wouldn't do it. And I was like, listen, you fucking asshole. <laughs> I was like, this job that you have right now for you, for me, is temporary. I'm only going to be here for a little while, all right? You, because you are a stupid, stupid human being, are going to do this for the rest of your idiotic life, all right? You're, you're, a, you're dumb. You're dumb. So you n- you'll never get above this because you are stupid. This is what you will... I kept telling her she was an idiot over and over and over and over. I'm like, this is what you're going to do. So you should learn to be nicer to the people around you if you ever want to even feel happiness in your life because this is all that you're going to have this job. So if you're going to work with people in a job like this, you might as well be good to them because they're not going to be good to you. And you're going to be doing this until you die. She started crying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, dude, there were other servers around us like, like jaws dropped going like, and I did this during a shift. Jesus. Customers were walking in. The drink station is like five feet away from yeah. the front desk where, yeah. the, where people are coming in for table. And I'm just pointing at her and calling her a fucking imbecile, you know? Yeah. So she cries and runs off. Right. The end of the shift, the manager's like, we need to talk at the end of this shift. It was too busy for it to happen then and there. And at that point, I was just like, I don't fucking care anymore. I've realized like this job is like, I, I want to be out of here. So... He pulls me into the office with the head chef and they're sitting there and I, he's like, close the door behind you. I close the door behind you. And the second the door closed, he had already had a, a piece of paper typed out that was like a written final warning because I had gotten a warning before for like arguing with somebody. And, uh, and he gives it to me. He's like, read that. And I read it and it's this whole thing about like, you know, uh, treating employees with respect, blah, 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 all this stuff. This is a written final warning. And I read the whole thing, and just the looks on their face, like they were just fucking pissed. Because this happened in the middle of a shift. They had to like calm down this crying fucking server. Customers are getting angry. They're not doing their jobs. They were furious. So give me the paper. I read it over. I handed it back to them. I was like, you spelled my last name wrong. <laughs> it was the only thing I said. And they were just like, okay. 
this is the kind of attitude we're talking about. <laughs> He's like, look, I, I get that you probably, this job isn't everything to you and you may not want to be here anymore, but you need to not do what you just did in there. You're a good server. We like you. We want you to be here. But this attitude thing has got to change. You, you can't treat other servers like that. And I go, you need to talk to her though about the way she works here because she's and he's like okay and i gave him my side and they talked to her and sure enough her fucking attitude changed after that but the amount of words i said to her from then on until i quit that fucking job was zero Jeez. yeah zero dark yeah it's pretty dark dude yeah but dude i you know she deserved it man um she a- deserved it as an addendum to last week's episode my brother just texted me <laughs> that the baseball card shop that i was fired from for stealing was on pennsylvania not on rosemont <laughs> that detail oh i remember where that was by the freeway yeah yeah i remember where that was he also sent me a receipt a photo <laughs> of a re- proof no no he sent me a photo receipt from the skating rabbit which is the skate shop i mentioned that okay. my mom would drive me to which was in van Nuys. whoa my mom would drive from from where did she live at the time Probably La Crescenta. To Van Nuys, the Skating Rabbit, which was 16105 Victory Boulevard. This is a receipt for a pair of shorts that were... He bought, no, someone got two pairs of shorts, my brother, I think. Throwback Thursday, dude. For $31.84. Decent deal. They were probably Jimmy's shorts, Jimmy Z's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's what Jeff... I don't. My brother saves everything. That's funny. Like a receipt from the Skating Rabbit. That's crazy. That's From funny. what is there a date on here? This is a February fourth, no February seventh, nineteen eighty eight. Whoa! <laughs> you gotta put that on Instagram. Yeah, that's like a cool, weird thing. No, I, every time we talk about skateboarding, he sends me some arcane thing he didn't throw away. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. I haven't talked about that restaurant job in a while. <laughs> I still have two friends from that from that job that I still hang out with and talk to. My friend RC lives in New York. Right. My friend Andrew, as I mentioned, he, he lives out here. Yeah. Um, after, I think I got the order wrong of my jobs. I think it was a gardener after I came back from Sacramento. But regardless. Yeah. So after a while, I hadn't have a job. And I didn't know how to get one. I'd never gotten a real one. I'd never had a real job interview. And <laughs> I realized I, was, I had restaurant experience, but was so bad at talking to people. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I'd, I believe I had started, I was in junior college, and I uh, was going to art classes, and I was on my way to going to art center. So as part of white pl- privilege, my friend Anna Warren's parents owned what's called Kids Art, yeah. which they had one in La Cunada on Foothill, and they had one in Pasadena. Yeah. And I was like, I can draw. Can I work there? And Anna was like, yeah, totally. That was the interview. <laughs> no, I went and I, inter- I took like a, a small portfolio of drawings to her dad who owned it, Ed Warren. And he was like, we're not looking for someone right now, but we have an assembly line <laughs> where we're Ed, building pens. <laughs> Ed was like, you clearly are a good artist. You seem a, like a surly dude. Yeah. Or can you like work with kids? And I was like, Yeah, I totally can. Yeah. And so I, I think I trained for like a week where they taught me how the, just the way they taught kids how to draw stuff. Okay. And so then that was my job for I want to say like four years. Whoa. Yeah, I worked at Kids Art. I worked at the one in La Cunada. I also mostly worked at the one in Pasadena. I worked every Saturday, but once I was going to Art Center, I could only work weekends because I was you know I had eight hours of homework a day i was barely sleeping but i worked saturdays and then but when i also when i first started there they would send me to elementary schools also 
because okay. they had after school programs at school. So I would go to Ivanhoe, the school over here, uh-huh. and teach an after school program. I went to a few schools. I don't really remember where they were anymore. But uh-huh. you'd go there with like I'd, bring, I'd have a box of supplies, and I'd go. Oh, I taught at some weird church. Never <laughs> do. This is the worst thing. Well, I, I used to teach at this. I taught at some church school in like Lock Resenta. I don't know what it was, uh-huh. and I hated them. These all. I don't know why, but it was like. It was like normally in a class you had two bad kids. In a class of 10, you had two kids that sucked. It was right. like they took all those kids and put them in one class and put them in a Jesus school, and I had to teach there. And I hated it so much. None of them wanted to be there. They all hated it. All they did was like yell and make try to make funny noises. Yeah. So on my last day, there was like a dry white erase board. I just wrote the word hate on the board and I left. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever get in trouble for that? No. I just, you know, you I don't think anyone some kid. Yeah, like who would have known? Like it was such a weird I didn't say like I hate you guys this class sucks. I just wrote the word hate. Yeah. I, I was just like Dude, I, the T should have been an inverted cross. <laughs> I, in retrospect, I should have really done like a drawing. What I should have done is wrote like 666 and got the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah. But I just wrote hate <gasps> and left. But Yeah. <laughs> I will. I really liked working at kids art. Like I really liked. It took me a minute to get acclimated and get good at like. Look, I never had a problem dealing with the kids. The kids were cool, and most of them, I would say, fifty percent of them wanted to be in an art class. The problem with art classes for kids is a lot of it is parents forcing their kids into an art class so they can feel like good parents, mm-hmm. so they can feel like they're exposing their kids to all there is to offer as education. And the thing is, a lot of young kids could give a shit about drawing it's not their thing so and and forcing a kid to make like a painting of a bowl of like a still life yeah is torture they're like that's lame bro i mean yeah they couldn't think it's lamer i mean if a kid because you get it was a lot of boys so you'd get a kid who was like six or seven and you'd be like all right like i'd be like what do you like you'd be like pokemon like dragon ball z and i'd be like all right cool well we're gonna draw an apple yeah and they were because that's what you had to there were things you had to start doing in the beginning so my only problem in the beginning was having to deal with like super bored kids and then they're like dissatisfied parents that were like he doesn't like it i'm like yeah i know because he had to had made him paint a bird <laughs> like there was like this stuff the steps you had to go through but i genuinely genuinely liked it the only thing that was weird was i was there all the time i never like i liked that job but we were always turning over like i was never the head teacher because i was too young I was like 22, 23. No parent wanted to walk in and see me in charge. Right. So it was always me and a, like an adult. But so the like adults, yeah, kind yeah. of. The adults were always like leaving. So I was always getting like a new weird adult <laughs> teacher that was like this, oh, so, you know, some odd artist who was like between things or something and yeah. then took the job over and thought. Because the thing was, if you worked there long enough, you could like have your own studio. So a lot of people, I think, thought they were going to have their own studio, but then the, maybe it w- was too hard for them to do it or they weren't good business people. So after a while, it, it for like over a year, instead of it being me and a teacher, it was me and my boss, Ed. That I really liked because Ed would give you advice the whole time. Like he would give me like, you know, kind of older dude advice yeah. about like life, like the entire time. And he couldn't stop himself. Like he was just constantly giving me advice. Thing you got to do with your savings. Thing you got to do with annuity, for, uh, you know, 401ks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He was always like giving me advice. But at the same time, he would get on my ass about like letting, if a, if a kid was even half good, I would let them do their own thing. Right. And I would let them like break free from the program. Because I was like, most of the kids sucked at art. <laughs> I mean, to be yeah, I mean, to be honest, and the thing was, I found a, parents would come in, they go, 
my child's gifted. And I want to be like, no, I'm gifted. And I know what it looks like. And your child isn't. Your child likes drawing. But yeah. like your kid's not super talented. And uh, I get that you think they are, but they're not. And I couldn't like say that. And it was just sort of like a waste of money. You couldn't be like, you're wasting your money. Yeah. But so it was about like trying to find anything that these kids could draw that they liked, which is most of the time Hello Kitty and right. Pikachu. So I drew, so I helped kids draw so much Pokemon. But the, the best part, I mean, honestly, the best part of that job was like you'd get a kid, usually it was like a dude, like a 13 year old dude who wanted to draw like the X Men right. or like Wolverine or something. And he didn't know how to like make him look mean or like make the claws look sharp. And I'd be like, oh, you just do this. And you could see them be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, now I can make him look super sweet. And you're like, yeah, dude, that's how you make him look super sweet. Yeah. And to watch a kid just be like, oh, my God, now I can do the thing I want. Like, I can make it look on paper how it looks in my head, and I just didn't know how. That was like, oh, and I went to kids' art. I forgot that. That's where I went when I was younger. I used to go with my friend Travis. Oh, okay. And that's where I learned that I had these epic teachers. The one that I talked about, the ones who like bought me the sketchbook. Oh, that was there. That was there. Okay, yeah. So I started working there and like the kids, like to see a kid like get stoked. Like there was one kid named Craig and he was really into metal. Yeah. And he was like 14 and he, he could, you could bring in stuff you wanted to paint and he brought in the Marilyn Manson Android cover. Uh, mechanical animals. Mechanical android. Yeah. yeah, is it mechanical android? Mechanical animals. Okay. Yeah. The one where he's like in the naked suit, the yeah. white naked. Oh, he's no like genitalia. And he was like, yeah. I want to do an oil painting of this. Yeah. And I was like, This kid's word. cool. Yeah, he was super cool. <laughs> I was like, and he was really good. I was like, word. Yeah. But I had like my boss was like, whoa. Like, you know, and it wasn't that it was like my boss wasn't like against it. He was cool. But other parents would walk in and be like, what in God's name? Like, you know, you'd yeah. have a kid, one kid doing a landscape. Yeah, yeah, one kid's doing a landscape, one kid's doing a Hello Kitty. Craig's in the corner, oil painting a amorphous, like sexually ambiguous guy yeah. who they heard worships the devil and cause Columbine. So right. like there was this little upstairs loft. So after like a couple weeks, I was like, yeah, Craig, look, you kind of got to paint him up there. And he, and he, kinda, he was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> like, yeah. like outlaw. But man, his parents, his mom, I've never seen a mom better at understanding how to parent a child without bumming him out. Because he would bring in the, he would bring in really gnarly stuff. Like he brought <laughs> in like I think it was a nine. Is there a nine inch nails cover that's a severed pig's head? Uh, I don't remember. There's there was a metal band that had like something, and it was just a severed pig's head uh-huh. with blood everywhere and a pig's heart next to it. And he brought in that, and he was like, "I want to paint that." And I was right. like, and I literally looked at it, and I looked up at his mom, and I was like, what do we, what do you think? And she goes, she goes, I think it's cool, Craig. I just think it's not that great of a picture of a pig's heart. I feel like you could find an, a better picture of a pig's heart. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, you're right. This is pre-Google image. So she knew full well he wasn't going to find a picture of a pig's heart. Yeah. But like the way she was like, no, you can't paint that. It's too gross. Was like, eh, I just... It's kind of dark, so you can't tell it's a super cool Pixar. <laughs> yeah, she was appealing to his sensibilities yeah. as opposed to saying, like, you're not allowed. He's like, well, no, I want to do it more. Yeah, and, like, yeah. he had a little sister who was, like, w- like five years younger than him and, like, the cutest little six-year-old ever. So she was like, I'm going to draw. She All she wanted to do was draw Hello Kitty every yeah. single week. And then Craig, all he wanted to do was paint the bloodiest shit available. Yeah, that's and I mean awesome. that. I mean, I still, re- like, I, I loved that. The only reason I stopped working there is just because I... I started acting, 
yeah. and I ended up it got really hard to get to like auditions and stuff and make it to work on time and I start so at the same time I started to get like kind of angrier and so like at what like the kids like the kids who didn't want to be there oh, yeah. and like that like I got in trouble the only time I ever got in trouble I was being too mean to like a kid what did you do she just was she was really annoying and she would just sit there and not draw and just like make a mess and like one day I just kind of snapped on basically like a five-year-old girl yeah and you were like listen I was just like try harder like I you know I wouldn't I didn't snap but I was like no do it like this and I got and like Ed was like her mom says that if you if you don't stop being mean to her she's gonna take her out of the class whoa and I was like I felt really bad but I was like Ed she could give a shit I go she doesn't care yeah I'm like she doesn't want to be here this is the the mom is just the mom doesn't want to be around her she's just forcing her this into is this just class. $60 daycare right and 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 she took so much time because she would do, and then the mom would complain about how shitty the drawings were. It's like a fucking lose lose. So situation. I would have to spend more time fixing this kid who would draw with her left hand than her right hand, and put the pencil in her foot. Yeah. Like, and so I was getting distracted from the kids who were trying hard. And in her class was this one kid. He was like fourteen. He was like a savant. This kid could draw his fucking better than me when I was his age. And I was just like wanted. He'd have like valid questions, but I'd have to go over and like take the paint that was on the ground that she threw on the floor and like put it back and then right. make her and then basically paint her painting for her so her mom wouldn't be wouldn't feel like she was wasting the money because the kid was just a total space yeah cadet. it's a lose-lose because then also if you ignore her then she tells her mom like they're not paying attention to me or helping me and then you get in trouble for that i mean she was four years old yeah which was her. too young to be in the <laughs> class usually they they kept it at five but you yeah. know they wanted students in the class. Well, right now she's probably like a pr- fucking cracked out prostitute. She's she doesn't. A there's walker. no way she even remembers the class, and she guarantees she doesn't care about art. Yeah. I would say, like, I would she's tell. I remember dead. this vividly. I would be like, draw the outside of the flower, and she had some. She spoke English, kind of, because her parents. One parent spoke Spanish. One par- parent spoke English. So her, she spoke like in between. Yeah. And she would be like, "It's too difficult." Yeah. She would just tell me it was too difficult. And I would just be like, I don't, and I want to be like, well, then I don't, then just sit here and do nothing. Yeah. But I couldn't do that. <laughs> just fucking try, you yeah. idiot. Yeah, so I would end up painting her painting <laughs> and then fucking, but then, yeah, I started get. I just started working too much in commercials and stuff and I couldn't get to, this is back when, you know, there were so many more auditions in like Santa Monica. Right. I couldn't get back to work in time or to the elementary school in time. And, mm. and then once I started Art Center, I was only working Saturdays, but it just got too gnarly. But I really liked that job, and I really liked Ed, my boss. He just told me good shit all the time. Like he was just a really level-headed, smart guy who'd like built this business, yeah, and knew how to take care of stuff. And like I remember, he say he made. They, I think he they did really well. It was lucrative, but I, he was like, yeah, I wouldn't. He's like, I don't want to buy a nice car because I don't want to look like I'm getting rich off my employees. Mm-hmm. And like he was just all about like taking your profits and reinvesting in your business. And like saving money and like being smart and like, not, you know, just like working his ass off. He told me, he's like, you never turn down work if you can do it. Always save 10% of your money. Like, he, t- he always had this story about uh, there was a cleaning lady who saved 10% of her money her entire life. And she, when she retired, she had like $300,000 in the bank. Yeah. You know, it was just like really level, a really level headed dude. Him and his wife ran the business. His wife was the best. They were just like good people. They were really good, like, example for me of like a a really happy married couple and just like people that worked really hard like they had date nights i remember like they, i remember just you know i really knew them well 
right. and they were just they were i'm really i always look back on that job really fondly because it was like a really nice i'm really lucky that i had that fucking job that was way better than other things i could be doing at the time oh yeah than all the other jobs you've mentioned yeah even. i mean i think i made 12 bucks an hour yeah which was fine at the time it like gave me i saved up enough money for like my first semester of art center i had like two grand in the bank mm-hmm. for supplies and then I, you know, after that, I started kind of getting money other ways. Right. But yeah, that, I learned a lot at that job just of like how to be an adult, kind of. Just by watching, like learn, just by like working with Ed when, when I, when he, when all the teachers kept like flaking and stuff. But you have a, you have a time crunch today, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, I got to drive to Brea. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Again. Last night. Last night. Last night of the shows. Um, let's do a... Uh, what, did you have like a bunch more jobs? Or no, not? that's it. Became okay. that's my last job before I became a famous actor. Let's do this question: um, What job would you do for free? Like you had, to, say, you retired young. Let's say male porn actor. <laughs> no, real. You know what I mean. Oh, for free? Uh, I would. Were, te- I, I would. That's. You I retire at forty. Yeah, which was like a few years ago for you. So yeah. you retire. <laughs> um, so you retire at 40, but yeah. then like a job that you have to go to, you know, three, four days a week and right. work like a full thing. Yeah. For free. I would teach. I would teach drawing and painting to people for free. What uh, age groups? Or what, like and them, what level of, of... I would like them to be adults. Uh-huh. I would, okay, I'd like to just to be over like 15. Uh-huh. So that I would just want them to be serious about learning drawing and painting so that what I'm telling them is actually valuable. Over 15. Yeah, but like I would... So they can be like beginner. I've never even drawn anything Yeah, as before. long as they okay. wanted to learn... I could do that. I would be very happy because, uh, A, when you teach, you actually reteach yourself. Right. And it's stuff I'm genuinely excited about. Teaching people about art, I get fired up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I would do that for free. I would do stand-up for free if I, like, didn't need money. Like, tra- yeah. you know, if, if it didn't cost me money to do. Right, right. I mean, borderline do stand-up for free now. <laughs> That's funny. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but, yeah, I, I would... I could see myself like volunteering at like an art class mm-hmm. in my old age if my eyes are okay, <laughs> you know, like teaching people how to draw things. Right. It's when you're get, that was the the most exciting part about art school was learning shortcuts. It's like, oh no, you do this and this. You're like, fuck. It's the thing that would have taken you like a month to figure out on your own. When someone's like, no, it's like this. It just speeds it up. But yeah, it's a. I don't know. When people want to learn how to draw and paint, their their amount of focus makes it worth working with them. Right. What would you do? I would be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like uh, probably, I would say junior high, high school, something like that, when kids are oh, like... Rough. Yeah. Like but when they're like, you know, still young and like eager and like exploring ideas and shit. But there's going to be plenty that are just, you know, yeah. bouncing off the walls, ADD, not wanting to be there. But like that would be half of the the fun and the challenge, I think, to be like get a kid who like could be interested in stuff interested you yeah because i had plenty of teachers that didn't give a shit at all yeah you know and they could have you know focused more on either like me or other other kids that were like it's not that that kid hates learning he's just like bored the you know with the way things are being taught because i definitely had teachers that made learning fun right and showed you in a way uh that made you pay attention yeah and focus and you know really want to get it done but I think that would just be a cool a cool job. Like if you know, if money was no object and you've retired, what would you do just to kind of do it? To like, because it would be a, a way to give back, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um, 
Definitely that. Because there's like, that's such like a delicate age for a person. They could either go one direction or another. You know, they could just be like, fuck all this learning shit. You yeah. Know? I, and I will say teaching, because you have to re-engage in all the information you're telling them, it does make you smarter. Yeah. Just because yeah. you have to know what you're fucking talking about. Right. Like if I, if I taught, had to teach a figure drawing class, I couldn't just go in there and be like, ah, it's kind of like, I'd have to like reacquaint myself with a lot of shit. Yeah, I bet. It's serious. You can't be a dickhead. (laughs) You can't fucking, you gotta know your There's a lot of little things that I just remember teachers were either like, they would have to look stuff up, Mm -hmm. you know? They're just like, oh, I don't remember this. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, they they didn't care. They didn't like have any enthusiasm when it came to teaching. They were like, Buy the book, right? You know, and then they wanted. You know, they were just like, "Now watch this video," or like, "Do this and leave me alone." Study for this test, and that was like the fucking end of it. So, where other teachers were really more involved with like the students, and they would like, you know, wrap the lesson into like a story that kind of would apply to you or them. They just like yeah. took it out of the written word in the book. They were just like, everyone read this chapter. They would just read a chapter out loud, and it would just be like this dense, boring information. Like, I don't know. But I think that that would be fun to do. It would be, like, rewarding. I think that's a thing. I think people that are good at things should do that when they get older. Yeah. That's, like, what you should do. The only exception is a stand-up, stand-up comedy, comedy class. comedy class. Yeah. There's, that should never be taught by anybody. <laughs> it's hard to disagree. Yeah. It's hard to disagree. There should be no stand-up comedy classes. No. It's fucking bullshit. Nope. And if you're going to sign up for one, don't. <laughs> Go find a list of open mics. Yeah. Get to work. So um, read books on comedy. Sure. Let's look forward to next week yeah. to the corrections that my brother texts me. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, work, right. is, work is weird. Yeah. But dude, yeah, all those experiences have really like helped kind of inform us on it may, where it, we it, wanted to go in life and what, how other people live. Really helped like, me learn what I didn't want to do and the way yeah. in which I wanted to do the things I ended up wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that shit's important, man. I mean, there's people that you meet that never really have well, I had one job and then like then I started a career or whatever. Like just or if there's like rich kids or something that have never worked ever. Yeah. That's like fucking crazy to me. Yeah. Where it's like you've never worked? Like a job you never had a job? I know I mean I know people like that and it it, it does change the way they think about stuff. Yeah. Not even like that they're dumb or anything, they just have a different view of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always noticed it with the way people, like, treat uh, waiters and stuff. Yeah. You really, really notice it after you've been a waiter. Yeah. With the way people just think their lives or what their lives are like, whether it's like, that guy's lazy yeah. or whatever, like, or they're just of a lower class or whatever. And you're yeah. like, you have no idea why that person is waiting tables. You know In LA, I- it's largely because they're fucking trying to be actors and comedians and yeah. models and whatever the fuck, but... You know what I never do from working in restaurants? I never try to joke with the waiters. They don't give a fuck. Yeah, they don't like it. They They've don't. heard your dumb joke. They don't give a fuck. The uh, I'm your server and then you're like, and I'm whatever, I'll be your customer line. Ay. That that has been done to death. They don't. They just want to, they want you in and out as fast as possible. They're not there to be your friend. Yeah. Be nice. Be nice. Don't ask for a million fucking substitutions. Or ask for it when you order. Don't fucking ask for that shit after the fact. Yeah. There's all these basic rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, so that was it. Part two. 
Bang. Uh, if you didn't listen to part one, do that, please. All right. We'll see you next time.